following the ways of this world. We were living our own lives, our own way, just whatever impulse came on us in the moment, or just following our own human intuition and thoughts. It was all about us. And then God came and changed us. We're now new creations. We're, we're different people than we used to be. We've fallen in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is now the chief love of our lives. We belong to Him. We are resolved to follow Him. Wherever He may call us, whatever He may command us to do, we are His and He is ours. And that is our greatest joy. And so we're eager to follow Him. We're, we're eager to, to be His disciples. That's, that's what our theme is about tonight. How the Gospel makes people different. How the Gospel radically changes their lives. How their hearts are made new. And if you're a true believer here, whether you became a true believer when you were 6 or when you were 86, if you're a true believer, this change that we're looking at tonight has happened in your life. And so you should be able to resonate with a lot of, of what's going to be shared. Now what I want to show you is that it is through the gospel that this change comes. And our passage very clearly teaches this. Uh, Peter is talking to Christians in this passage. He says in verse 23 that they have been born again. They have experienced this great change. And so we ask, alright Peter, verse 23, you said these people have been born again. How did that happen? How were they born again? And he tells us. He says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, so Christians are, are born again. They're made new, they're radically changed through the word of God. It is God's word that he uses to change people. But Peter, what do you mean by the word of God? What is this word that is so Powerful that it, it gives men and women and boys and girls new hearts. What is this word? Well, he tells us in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, The word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news, gospel, that was preached to you. It is the good news that was preached to you that changed you. In fact, the Greek word in the New Testament for good news is the word euangelion, or gospel. So Peter says that these Christians had heard the gospel by the apostles, and that this gospel was used by God to transform them forever. So there's our doctrine, very clear. Black and white, you can see it in the Bible. And what I want to do is unpack this doctrine asking three questions. And I want to give you these three questions, and then I want to try and give biblical answers to these three questions so that we can begin to grasp why this is so important, that the gospel changes our hearts. So here are the three questions we're going to be unpacking. Number one, why do we need a new heart? Number two, how do we get a new heart? And number three, what are the results of a new heart? So I'll give you those again. Why do we need a new heart? How do we get a new heart? And what are the results of a new heart? So number one, why do we need a new heart? Why do we need to be born again? Why do we need to be made new creations? And in fact, Peter here is talking to these Christians about 
how they have been born again. And somebody might read this passage and think, who cares? Who cares? I, why, why should I even want to be born again? Why, why do I need a new heart? I'm, I'm happy with, with the way I am now. In fact, the answer that the culture gives to the question, why should, God, why should I desire a new heart? The culture's answer to that question is, you shouldn't. The culture's answer is, your heart is just fine. Now, we all understand, I'm not talking about your physical heart, right? Your, your pumping muscle in your chest. I'm talking about the inner you. I'm talking about your, the part of you that desires, the part of you that wills, the part of you that loves. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about who you are inside. And the mantra that our society screams at us in a thousand different ways every day is, be yourself, love yourself, because all of us are basically good at heart. Yes, some people do bad things, but that's only because they are victims of their circumstances. That man who robs your house was probably neglected by his father. And that man who neglected his son, his father probably abused him. And that father who abused his son, that was probably because of a mental condition. The idea being that down deep, every single person down deep is basically good at heart. And if we do bad things, it's because we are victims. And so our society says things like this. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Or have good self-esteem. Think highly of yourself. That's the gospel of this world. And I want to be as clear as I possibly can be on this issue. Church, if you buy into that gospel, there is no hope for you. If you buy into the gospel of you are basically good at heart, Jesus has nothing to offer you because he came to save sinners. He came to save people who were poor in spirit, people who knew their own wickedness. If you have not yet owned up to the fact that in your very nature there is something wrong with you, then you are far from the kingdom of heaven. How messed up is it that we live in a society that sees pride as a great virtue? From the moment we are born, our culture says, take pride in yourselves. Remember, it was pride that led mankind into the fall, into sin. It is pride that is underneath everything that the devil does. It is pride that always comes before destruction. And there is nothing that our society loves more than pride. So dear friend, until you are willing to put away your pride, the true God has nothing for you but righteous judgment. God resists the proud, calls them an abomination in His sight. If we think that we are good people at heart, then apart from the grace of God, we have no hope. It's so strange that our society loves the phrase, know thyself, but so few in our society actually know themselves. Many of you in this room, I would assume, know something of what I'm talking about. 
Because by God's grace, you came to a place in your life where you felt your sin. You saw it and it was undeniable. You came to a place where you, you had to acknowledge it. You, you confessed it before God. You, you felt helpless. You cried out to God to save you and to change you. You were like the prophet Isaiah who got a glimpse of the glory of God and immediately fell on his face and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Or maybe you were like Peter, who got a glimpse of the majesty of Christ and fell down in humility before the glory of Christ and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There is something about catching a glimpse of the glory of God that causes us all to be immediately aware that we're not all good at heart. We're not all these decent people underneath. There's something wrong with us. So here's the Bible's answer to why we need 1 Peter 1. Here's the Bible's answer to why we need a new heart. Number one, our natural hearts are corrupt. And we all foolishly rebel against God. Our natural hearts are corrupt. And we all foolishly rebel against God. I'm just going to give you some scriptures. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jesus, Mark 7, verses 21 through 23. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Not from without. Not we're victims. These evil things, Jesus said, come from within. We sin because we're sinners in here. Psalm 5, 9, speaking of all humanity, there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their innermost self is destruction. Ecclesiastes 9, 3, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. I mean, the Bible can't be any much clearer than that. The hearts of the children of man, of Adam, so if you're here and you're a child of Adam, and that's all of us, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. You see, the gospel is good news that only makes sense if you first understand and accept this bad news. Now, you might not like the Bible's assessment of the human heart. But we cannot deny that this is what the Bible teaches. Because this is not one of those doctrines where, well, this pastor interprets it this way, and this pastor interprets it that way. This is a subject in which the Bible is crystal clear. It's not a matter of interpretation. It's, it's everywhere, in every page, passage after passage, verse after verse. God makes it known there's a reason why Jesus came to die. We are sinners. We are not righteous people. And you can choose not to believe the Bible.
But if you do believe the Bible is the Word of God, we must believe this. We are not good at heart, and therefore we need a new heart. The second reason we need a new heart is because we cannot have peace with God and go to heaven with our natural hearts. As long as our natural hearts, as long as our sinful natures are, are all that controls us day in and day out, as long as that is who we are, we cannot have peace with God. Holiness cannot have peace with sinfulness. And we will not be able to go to heaven. Since we have corrupt hearts, we sin. Because God is holy. He hates sin. It's not a small thing in God's sight. Sin is rebellion against an infinitely glorious God. The same God who created us. The God who loves us. Sin in God's sight is infinitely heinous. Because He is infinitely worthy of our love and obedience. And so, if God treats us fairly, if God treats us as we deserve, we will be justly condemned to hell. Now here's the thing. Though God in His purity and righteousness hates our sin, in His love and mercy, He has made a way for us to be right with Him. Jesus Christ came. He lived the perfect life that we in our sinful hearts, we have not lived. And then Jesus went to the cross to die for sinners. He went to the cross to bear the punishment that sinners deserve in their place. And now having made this way of salvation, this way for sins to be forgiven, this way for peace to be made with God, this way for sinners to, to go to heaven, God now says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Or as he said it in Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. He who has not money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Or as it said in Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is the gospel, the, the good news of Christ crucified for sinners. It is salvation freely offered to us. And yet, our hearts are so corrupt that we will not even come to Christ and accept this great offer of salvation. Here we are, we're, we're running headlong into sin and into hell. And we're blinded by our sin and, and we're walking this path. And God is over here and He's calling to us, maybe through the preacher, maybe through a song on the radio. Who knows how it comes to you, but God is calling to you. Come to me, trust my son, be saved. And we, with our wicked hearts, love sin so much that we keep going this way and we will not come. And we may say nice things about Jesus. We may even come to church. We may even be baptized. Added to a church membership role. But this person, the one who has not been born again, his life is still going that way. He does not submit to Jesus. Honestly, if, you were to, if we could get into that person's heart, we would see Jesus is not even close to the chief love of that person's life. The person who still has the same inner self that he or she was born with still lives for self, still lives for sin, can say nice things about Jesus, but really it's about me. 
And when I open up the Bible and, and it says, Jesus says, do this, and everything in my heart says, so do this, guess which one I tend to choose? I tend to choose that one. And so God says, come to me, come to me. In reality, the person never comes, refuses to submit, will not bow before Jesus and Christ and say, you are my Lord and Savior and I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. Ephesians 2.1 Why do we not come? Because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Why do we not come? John 8.34 Because everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Proverbs 21.10 The soul of the wicked desires evil. We don't want God. We want our life, our own way. Jeremiah 13.23 Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then can you do good who are accustomed to doing John 3.20 Jesus speaking Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Romans 3.11 No one seeks for God. John 6.44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, here is why we need a new heart. Without a new heart, we will not come to Jesus. Not really. Without a new heart, we will not turn from our sins. Without a new heart, we will not trust the Lord. We will not love the Lord. We will not follow the Lord. Without a new heart, we will die in our natural condition and we will be justly condemned to hell. That's why 1 Peter 1 is so important and why we need to know the answer to question number 2. So how do we get a new heart? How do we get a new heart? How do we get one that's willing to come to Jesus? That's willing to repent and believe? Well, we already saw it in our passage. It happens through the gospel. So we were walking that path to hell. We were walking that path blind in our sins. And suddenly the gospel came to us in power. Now maybe... Maybe we heard it from the pulpits. Maybe we were sitting in a Sunday school class. Maybe we were just sitting alone reading our Bibles. That's how it happened for my father. He was, he was a security guard at the, at the front entrance to a camp. Sitting in his little booth waiting for cars to go by. And he was reading his Bible. And the Lord got a hold of him and saved his soul right there in that security booth. Maybe you were just listening to a Christian hymn or song that teaches the gospel. But however it happens... The gospel comes to you in power. You may have heard it before a thousand times. This time is different. This time is not like the other times that you heard the gospel. This time the Spirit of God is at work and you're being convicted. You're being broken. You see, the gospel by itself saves no one. It is the gospel accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit that saves souls. Remember Nicodemus, religious leader, comes to Jesus at night in secret. He has questions, deep, troubling questions. Jesus told Nicodemus that in order to go to heaven, you have to be born again. That's what we've already said. If you want to go to heaven, Nicodemus, you must be born again. But then Jesus said this. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, 
And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. <clears throat> you see, whether or not the gospel changes someone does not depend on the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the one who's witnessing. I had to learn this the hard way. That a preacher can, can preach the gospel passionately, clearly, pleading with people to believe on Jesus and not a single person be changed. And the next Sunday, that same preacher can come to church sick and be coughing. And he stumbles over his words as he tries to preach. He struggles to keep his thoughts in order. Anyone listening would say that preacher is having a bad day as he just struggles to get the gospel out there. He comes down from the pulpit. He says, what an awful Sunday morning. That just stunk. And that's the day the Holy Spirit saves him. It does not depend on the preacher or the Sunday school teacher, or the one who's witnessing, or the song on the radio. It depends on the Holy Spirit of God through the gospel. That's what makes the difference. First Thessalonians 1.4 For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. In other words, it is the Spirit of God that makes all the difference. And just as a side note, First Baptist Gibsonville, as a side note, here, here's a lesson for us. If we want to see people saved, let us pray. Right? We can't change their hearts. The Holy Spirit can. The Lord loves to change people in response to prayer. So let us pray. We can go deeper. Because the Bible goes deeper on this question how does 1 Peter 1, 23-25 happen? Okay? So it's through the Word of God, which we saw was the Gospel, that people are born again. And we've seen that it's the Spirit who takes the Gospel and causes them to be born again. Okay, but how does He do that? Let's just go deeper. How does the Spirit do that? Well, I know of no other passage that tells us more about this than a very glorious one that I want you to turn to. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You know that the most important rule in interpreting Scripture is that you always let the Scriptures interpret Scripture. So if you're reading a passage and you have questions about a passage, the best place to find an answer to your question is by reading other passages. The Bible has a great way of shedding light on other parts of the Bible. And 2 Corinthians 4 is like a spotlight even like a sun that kind of rises and, and shines light in 1 Peter 1 and helps it make sense to us. So 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 1. Verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about the gospel ministry. He's talking about preaching this message that, that Jesus has done everything necessary for sinners to be reconciled to God. doesn't matter if you're the worst sinner on planet earth. Jesus has made a way of salvation so that all who turn to Him in faith and repentance will be truly and forever saved. And Paul says, I have this ministry, my fellow apostles, we have this ministry for preaching this gospel. It's a great privilege and we're not losing heart. Verse 2. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. 
We refuse to practice cutting or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, we will not be deceitful as we preach the gospel. We will not try and win people through human means. We're not going to tell a joke, read a verse, follow it up with a couple of emotionally moving stories, and then give an altar call and say that people's hearts were changed. We're not going to be like the revival speaker who told the pastor, give me 30 minutes with your congregation and I'll get them all saved. It's human means. That's thinking we can do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Paul said, I will have no part in that. I will not be deceitful. I will not try and make this about me. He said, we're just going to openly <coughs> state the truth. And he said, we're not going to tamper with the message. We're not going to change the message to the slightest degree. I know that part about human beings need a new heart. They were all sinners on our way to hell. I know that's not popular, but I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to pretend that it's not true in order to, to soothe itching ears. He says we're going to preach the gospel as it is, as it really is. We're going to do our part, and then as we preach, we're going to pray for God to do His. Now, verses 3 and 4. Look at me in verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So there is something to be seen in the gospel. Paul says there's something in the gospel that people should see, but those people who have not been born again, they can't see it. It's veiled. And what is it that he says that's in the gospel that everyone should see, but we can't see because it's veiled? He says it is the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That if only the veil would be taken away, if only our blind eyes would be open. When we heard the gospel message, we would see the glory of Jesus Christ, which is the glory of God. We would see Jesus' wisdom. We would see Jesus' power. We would see Jesus' righteousness. Ultimately, we would see the love of God in Jesus Christ. If we could see rightly, then every person who ever heard the gospel would run to Jesus immediately. Because it's not complicated. I mean, really, it's not a hard thing. Who's smarter, us or Jesus? Who's wiser, us or Jesus? Who loves us more? Do, do I love me more? Does Jesus love me even more than I love myself? Why would I not go to Him? Why would I not trust Him? Why would I not bow to Him and give everything to Him? The, the gospel is not complicated. The reason that people do not see these obvious things, the reason the glory of Christ is not clear to them, is because we're told that there's this veil that is over the eyes of, of unbelievers. Verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, 
Let light shine out of darkness as shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, this is how it happens, church. Just as in the beginning there was darkness and God said, let there be light and there was light. So God speaks by His Spirit through the Gospel to an unbelieving, darkened heart and says, let there be light. And in that moment, the lights come on. In that moment, it's through the Gospel, by the Spirit, God says, let there be light. The veil is removed, and though we had heard the Gospel a thousand times, for the first time, we really see this. Or the wrath of God for sinners. I mean, I've never really taken it to heart before. Suddenly, it, 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 it's like it's new. Suddenly, this person sees the glory of God in the person of Jesus. He sees that this is the God that I've been rejecting for so long. And immediately confronted with the awesome, sweet glory of God, what's that person's response? Woe is me. Oh, look at how I've been living. Look at how I've been going that way my whole life. Look at how foolish I've been. Jesus is infinitely worthy of my love and obedience, and I have been refusing to honor him for years. Jesus has been calling me to himself, and I have been rejecting him for years. I have hated, I have lied, I have lusted, I have coveted, I have lived however I wanted to live, day in and day out. I have spent my life on things that do not matter. And this God, this glorious God, continued to love me, even as I spat in his face and trampled his laws day in and day out. Though I am a speck of dust compared to him, because he is transcendent God, he still cares for me. Though I am so full of sin and wickedness, he loved me so much that he would send his son to be crucified. I mean, it isn't just that Jesus had his back torn open with the whip or the, the nails in his hands or the, the crown of thorns in his brow. No, it's the fact that Jesus bore the wrath of God for sinners. That on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whatever was going on there, and it's mysterious, but whatever was going on there was way more huge than the nails or the crown of thorns. It was Jesus Christ bearing the hell that our sins deserve if we believe. And so for the first time, by the Spirit of God, through the Gospel, the lights come on and we begin to see it. And it begins to become clear to us how big our Savior's love is. How much He's done for us. And for the first time, nobody's going to keep me away from Jesus. No sin is worth that much to me. I'll get rid of all of it. I will repent and say, I'll throw it all away to have this Jesus. I am willing to be His. I am willing to follow Him wherever He may call me to go. Why? Because I've seen His glory. I've seen His love. And compared to knowing Him, everything else in this world is rubbish. So that's how it happens. It's the work of God. 
Maybe he's even doing it here tonight. I pray so. That would be an awesome, awesome thing. And by the way, because this is how it happens, guess who gets all the glory? You didn't turn the lights on. You didn't suddenly make your heart get it and understand and fall in love with Jesus. That was the work of God, and therefore to Him be all the glory forever and ever. Let's close with this question. What are the results of this new heart? What are the results of this new heart? And the answer is easy. When God, through the Spirit, by the Gospel, causes us to see His glory in the person of Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, the result is a new love for Jesus, new desires, a new lifestyle. We become different. When you love Jesus, everything changes. When you love Jesus, you begin to love what Jesus loves. You, you begin to love His, His teaching. This is why one of the first evidences that you've truly been born again is that you can't get enough of His Word. You just, you just gobble it up, right? You, you, especially in those early years when you, when you first have been converted, you first come to Christ, suddenly the Word is just like a treasure chest and every day you want to have more of it. You begin to realize that all the stuff of this world that you used to enjoy so much was like a mud puddle. Here is the ocean full of treasures. You've neglected it for so long and now there's something inside you saying, how dumb I was. I'm going to dive into this thing. I want to know what my Savior says. Why? Because he's smarter than me. He's wiser than me. He knows what's best for me. I trust him. We begin to take Jesus' teaching to heart. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the clearest result of someone being born again is they begin to obey Jesus. Folks, we're not saved by works. But if you have true faith, guess what happens? You work. You do what Christ calls you to do. You begin to obey. People who have been really changed begin to love church. And they begin to love church for all the right reasons. They begin to cut out sinful behaviors. They begin to pursue godly behaviors. Now we all know, we don't become perfect in this life, do we? Not in this life. There is real change. And there is real progress. And there is real growth. In every situation, the Christian, the one who's had his heart changed, he suddenly wants to know, what does Jesus say about this? What, what does Jesus have to say about marriage? What does Jesus have to say about parenting? What does Jesus have to say about my various callings and obligations, about my work life? What does Jesus have to say about the local church? What does Jesus have to say about food, about clothes, about politics, about everything? When you come to know Christ and you're willing to bow to Him and say, You are my King, you're so good, you're so wise, you love me so much, the result is you want to have His opinion on everything. Because you know his is true. The whole world becomes new. As you begin learning from the Bible to live a different way. A better way. A way that blesses others and glorifies God. And leads to your eternal happiness. On top of all this, the Christian, the one who's had his heart made new, now has a solid ground to stand on. Day in and day out. The Christian has no reason to fear Death. Death is now his friend to usher him in to the presence of God. The Christian, more than any person on the planet, has good reason to sleep peacefully at night. Even in the midst of the toughest trials, the Christian knows that all is working for his good. 
That in the end, his soul is safe. At the bottom of all things, his soul is secure. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. I am at peace with God. I'm at peace. Even when I don't feel it, because the Bible tells me so, and I'm trusting Jesus, I have peace with God. And that anchor will get you through every storm. Friends, Jesus died so that sinners would experience this change of heart. This change of heart comes about by the gospel, through the Spirit. It results in a transformed life of love for Jesus, faith in Jesus, shows itself in obedience to Jesus. With you this very moment that you would cause your spirit to do that work. Father, if there is anyone in this room who is still separated from you, on their way to hell, Father, would you wake them up, turn the lights on tonight. Father, help them to see the glory of Christ. Help them to see how good He is, how wise He is, how loving He is. Father, don't let this person continue to walk in foolish pride, a path that leads to hell. Father, we know that salvation is something only you can bring about, so we pray that you would. Father, we ask that your blessings would be on the remainder of this conference. We ask that you would continue to open up for us the glories of your gospel and why it is so precious. And Father, I pray that most of all we would begin to see even more than we have in the past. Our Savior is so precious. So help us to fall more in love with him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.